Hello, hello. This is Vogue Stories, audiobooks by Kathy Colas. We're in episode five of The Wedding Crasher by Nikki Stern. Sam, along with a Nashville detective assigned to the Bitsy Newsom case, interviews Bitsy's fiancé, a shrewd, self-possessed attorney who may have some underlying rage issues. Interest in the case cools, leaving Sam alone with her nightmares and her suspicions that there may be more to Bitsy's death. But what? Here we go. We appreciate your time, Mr. Talcott. Eddie Gould began. He glanced down at a blank pad of paper, then looked back up. His dark eyes radiated sincerity. Mark. May I call you Mark? Mr. Talcott is fine. I trust we can make this brief. I've only got a few minutes before a client meeting. Unless... Do I need my lawyer present? Eddie chuckled and raised an eyebrow. Come on, the gesture seemed to say. It's just us boys. Which made sense, given that the lawyer hadn't even glanced in Sam's direction since the interview began. Nor did he look at the one-way mirror behind which Abdi and Terry stood. I wouldn't think so, Mr. Talcott, Eddie said. You're doing us quite a favor, coming in on such short notice. The lawyer smoothed his blue silk tie and made a show of looking at his stainless steel watch. A Piaget, worth nine or ten thousand dollars. Jay had coveted one just like that, to Sam's everlasting amusement. She imagined many otherwise normal people aspired to own such a watch, just as some drooled over a car. For the attorney, the timepiece seemed more like a reminder to others that he occupied a rarefied world. Maybe he chose his preferred status level early on, which in turn influenced his choice of career, neighborhood, social clubs, friends, and fiancé. Everything about Mark Talcott suggested class and taste. If not old money, then new money well spent. Shiny brown hair, skillfully barbered to minimize a high forehead. An immaculate shirt under a tailored linen jacket. Buffed nails. An even tan that didn't quite disguise an unhealthy pallor. A dazzling smile that had clearly benefited from a cosmetic approach to dentistry. I assume you received the packet my assistant sent over, he said. The itinerary and copies of bills and receipts from a business trip to Washington, D.C., two weekends ago. When Bitsy was killed, he looked down and away, the epitome of controlled grief. We did receive the materials, and we appreciate your cooperation, Eddie began. Talcott kept going. As for what I can tell you about Bitsy, I'll repeat what probably everyone, friends, family, co-workers, said about her. She was an amazing woman. The whole package. Fun, popular, beautiful, and brilliant. Social skills like you wouldn't believe. Ahead for business, I can tell you that. Nashville is a hot market right now, and she was at the top of her game. He sounded as if he were ticking items off her resume. How did she feel about leaving all that behind? Sam asked. Talcott startled. You're the Pickett County Sheriff, aren't you? Tate. Where's your partner, the FBI agent? He looked faintly disapproving, 
as if he deserved to be questioned by federal, not local authorities. Or men, not women. He's elsewhere at the moment. Let's get back to my question. Was Bitsy looking forward to leaving Nashville? What do you mean? Well, someone who's popular and well-established in her field might want to stay where she had some leverage. Bitsy is, was my fiancé, Sheriff. She was also an ambitious woman, as I am an ambitious man. Fortunately, our goals aligned. Washington would have been the best possible move for both of us. She'd even lined up a job with a respected high-end real estate firm. I wonder how much Lincoln Charles had to do with that. Are you still planning to move? Sam asked. His sorrow appeared practiced. There's nothing holding me here. Sam looked down at her own notepad, which she kept in her lap. It was blank, but Talcott didn't know that. So you both had offers. Very helpful for a bright young couple. What kind of corporate law do you practice, Mr. Talcott? I don't see what any of this has to do with Bitsy's murder. He looked at Eddie, who shrugged as if to say, I have no idea where this is going. Ms. Newsom dealt primarily with commercial properties and development, I believe. You practice corporate law. I'm looking to see whether your professional interests may have overlapped. Corporate law typically encompasses a range of legal activities on behalf of business clients, Sheriff. Our role is to counsel those clients, to negotiate, draft, or review contracts or other agreements, and to advise on governance and operations. Sam smiled. I'm familiar with the outlines of your profession. Perhaps I should have been more direct. Did you counsel or advise any clients who might also have been working with Ms. Newsom? Talcott stared at her. She looked into eyes so dark they could have been all pupil. Once again, she was reminded of a predator fish or a bird of prey, like a peregrine. She saw no life, just a flick, as if someone lit a match and quickly extinguished it. Then his face rearranged itself into a sneering sort of smile, as if he found her question adorable and foolish, something a child would ask. What an interesting train of thought. You're wondering if either of us made work-related enemies, which suggests you aren't absolutely certain she was murdered by the serial killer. Doesn't have to be either or, Mr. Talcott, Eddie said. The wedding crasher may have settled down in the region a couple of years back, taken a job, made friends, become an upstanding citizen, maybe even married. I hope you're not implying that one of our friends is a serial killer detective. I find the idea both ludicrous and offensive. I don't know everything about Bitsy's clients. The notion that one of them was moonlighting as a murderer seems far-fetched. You'd have to talk with her superior or her colleagues. And no, Bitsy and I did not share clients. Did she know Lincoln Charles? Obviously she did, Sheriff. He was at her memorial service. I knew him first, as I'm sure you learned. Talcott shifted his attention to Eddie. Is this going to take much longer? I really need to leave. You'll have to ask Sheriff Tate. She's the lead investigator on your fiancé's case. I'm working as a liaison. Oh, well, Talcott said with a wave of his hand. Investigate away.
Thank you, Mr. Talcott, Sam said. I'll move things along. Would you consider Congressman Charles a friend of yours? More a mentor. He gave me an internship, then a job. I loved Washington. I don't mind admitting. I wanted to stay. Unfortunately, I had family obligations that brought me back to the area. And when did you meet Ms. Newsom? About two, no, three years ago. In Nashville. But you were born in Selena. Sam looked down at the gibberish she'd scribbled in her notebook. It's not a secret, Sheriff, and I'm not ashamed of my roots. Oh, I'm not suggesting you are. You were able to work in Nashville while you fulfilled your family obligations? No, I got a job locally in the DAG's office so I could be closer to home. My mother took a long time to die. Sam ignored the trace of bitterness. While you were with the DAG, you prosecuted, among other suspects, a man accused of stalking a local woman named Claire Hooper. Common knowledge, Sheriff. Surely you figured that out back when you and the old sheriff were trying to solve the poor woman's murder. We looked at the stalker, naturally. Your name didn't come up. Now it has. Over and over again. It's awfully coincidental that the same man who helped protect one victim was another victim's fiancé. One thing is not remotely like the other sheriff. Except you didn't just work to find justice for Claire Hooper. You also dated her. At the edge of her sightline, Sam saw Eddie's eyes widen. She kept her focus on Talcott. We bonded during the trial. We went out for a few months once the verdict came in, you may note. What's wrong with that? Since we were adults, both single at the time, I'd say no harm, no foul. Who broke it off? Another hot flash in those opaque eyes. Another smile. I don't know when you last dated Sheriff Tate, but it doesn't work that way nowadays. One of us got busy or occupied elsewhere. Interest faded. Those things happen. Very modern of you. You seem to have an issue with rejection in high school, though. Bit of a stalker yourself, weren't you? The veneer cracked just a little. If you're referring to an isolated incident from 15 years ago, based on a juvenile miscommunication and long since resolved, you are clearly off the mark, Sheriff. I can only hope the special agent has a better track record when it comes to homicide investigations. Although, Talcott looked directly into the one-way mirror. Agent Sloan seems to have come up short on the wedding crash of cases. He put his arms on the table and leaned over far enough that Eddie rose an inch out of his chair. Let me give you a piece of legal advice, Sheriff Tate. Stay away from me and my family and my friends. Your inquiries and insinuations verge on harassment. I have some experience with shoddy treatment by over-eager law officers with aspirations beyond their abilities. I'd be more than happy to slap your sorry, he hesitated, excuse for a police department with a lawsuit that could bankrupt the county. Is that a threat, Mr. Talcott? It's counsel, absent my usual fee. You're welcome. Now, if you'll excuse me. He rose, brushed off an invisible piece of lint, 
and picked up a soft leather briefcase worth about a month of Sam's salary. She kept her eyes on him as he exited. I think you ticked him off, Sheriff, Eddie observed. No, he came in hot, Detective. Not grief, though. Something else. I wonder what. Sam leaned into the warmth of the spotlight. She reminded herself to concentrate not on the frigid air conditioning, but on the audience, even though she couldn't distinguish one face from another. Her on-again, off-again agent had recommended she wear the slithery 1940s-era dress he'd picked up from God knows where. Long sleeves, plunging neckline, a twilight blue number that would look good at a theme party. She hated the outfit. The dress marked her as out of step with the times and overdressed for the club, which deliberately cultivated a laid-back, low-rent vibe. Like she was trying too hard, she lobbied to wear jeans. Everybody does that, the agent countered. If you play guitar or fronted your own rock band, maybe. This look works for you, trust me. It's classy. Cut above. Vegas ready. You want that. Vegas is where the money is. She acquiesced, though she pushed back on his song selection. He favored Daddy's Hands, a popular tune about a girl's beloved but strict father, with hands that could be loving or punishing. Sam couldn't listen to the lyrics without wanting to scrub herself clean. In the end, she settled for Crazy, done almost to death by almost every would-be songstress. She sang it better than most, though, and she knew it. Sam asked the house band to pitch the song in A, which gave her a rich low note at the beginning and room to riff at the end. The enthusiastic applause told her she'd made the right choice. She bowed. The crowd continued to show its approval. The affable, if slightly sleazy host, materialized at her side. What do you think, ladies and gentlemen? he asked. Isn't she something? He held on to her arm as she tried to exit. Hang on, honey. No need to run off just yet. We're going to take questions from the audience. We are? Sam asked. She waited for the house lights to go up. Instead, the place got darker. She stood alone inside a small ring of light like a circus animal. Or a suspect. Why haven't you made any progress? Someone called out. What's holding you back? Another asked. She assumed they were referencing her slow-to-start singing career. Rude, but she could come up with some sort of answer, couldn't she? Then the questions came faster and faster, like balls from an out-of-control pitching machine. Do you think you're doing a good job? How would you rate your performance? Come on, Sheriff, tell us who you really suspect. Who is the wedding crasher? We think you know. I don't know, Sam replied. The lights came up briefly. Terry, Abdi, and Ralph sat in the front row, grinning like they'd been let out of school. Terry? What are you... The performance was perfect, kiddo, he called out. Now tell these people what you know. I, I honestly don't know anything, she protested. She sounded childish. She may be suppressing, Abdi told Terry in a stage whisper. She knows, 
A figure rose in the back, tall and imposing. Her father. Blood trickled from a round hole in his forehead. He looked disappointed in her. You need to tell them what you know, he commanded. I raised you better than this. Daddy, I don't know. Shit, she yelled because she'd smacked her head on the desk and it hurt. She blinked, took in the familiar surroundings of her office. How long had she been out? Long enough to have another dream in which she was again a victim. Of what exactly? A failed career move? The wedding crasher? The past? A nagging memory? Her own incompetence? Sam pushed upright and glanced at her watch. Midnight on a muggy evening in early June. Technically spring, but tell that to the humidity. She rubbed her head where she hid it. That'll leave a mark, she thought. Just one more thing for the reporters to ask about. Just before Memorial Day, the FBI had announced it was diverting resources. Bureaucrats speak for, we need to return our people to their field offices. We'll work on the case in between our other cases. Meanwhile, your friendly cops will work the local leads. The press conferences became less frequent. The media representation smaller. The news cycle moved on, and so did the attention span of most citizens. One way or another, they decided, whoever killed Bitsy Newsom was done for the season. Maybe gone for good. Meanwhile, they were going to enjoy the summer. Terry left with assurances he would keep in touch. She sensed he wanted to stay, and not just because work required it. She slapped aside those notions, told herself too much distance, physical and emotional, existed between them to try to light that spark again, not with another person in the picture. She googled the reporter, of course. The flame, the squeeze, the woman with whom Terry had become involved. Professional curiosity, she persuaded herself. She learned Mercedes Rodriguez was a powerhouse. Attractive, accomplished, going places. Brunette, maybe 30. Not much older than the wedding crasher victims. Don't go there. Terry's absence meant Sam had more time on her hands. To think to worry, to dream, but not, apparently, to get a good night's sleep. She patted a folder on her desk. Eddie Gould and his people had found it in a safe in Bitsy Newsom's apartment. It's a proposal for a multi-use development on Dale Hollow Lake, he told her. Right on the shoreline. Not one of her colleagues has a clue as to what it's about. Dale Hollow Lake, with its plentiful stock and unspoiled waters, was considered one of the preeminent fishing spots in the country. The federal government had owned the land for years. The area included a major flood control reservoir and the National Fish Hatchery, all protected and controlled by the Army Corps of Engineers and presumably off-limits to any development. Why would she broker a deal that can't happen? Sam asked, although she realized she knew the answer. Money cleared away most obstacles, whether in Tennessee or D.C. 
She searched for a connection to Mark Talcott and found none. The proposal was not a legal document, just an outline of ideas, some of them grandiose, some imaginative, all of them guaranteed to change the area and make a few people very wealthy in the process, if the project moved forward. Maybe Talcott wasn't leaving his fingerprints, but his move to Washington once again raised a red flag. On a hunch, Sam searched for a connection between Lincoln Charles and Dale Hollow Lake. Other than mentions in a few speeches, she found nothing. Why kill Bitsy Newsom? Terry asked when they spoke by phone the next day. What kind of power or influence does the facilitator have on a project that isn't likely to happen? Maybe she betrayed a confidence, exposed a secret negotiation, got too greedy, pushed too hard. People get angry when they're deceived. You're saying her death was an ordinary homicide staged to look like the work of a serial killer? That's not what I'm saying. What is it then? Sam reminded herself to take slow, calming breaths. Not for the first time she wished she hadn't given up cigarettes. Look at the particulars, Terry. Take the stockings or the blue garter. Certain details weren't made public. Who would know about those? Someone with an insider's knowledge of the Crasher cases and a stake in making Bitsy's death look like the work of a serial killer. I can't believe it. Okay, then you're saying she wasn't killed because of what's in the proposal. And we're back to considering her death part of my ongoing investigation. I'm saying I don't know. Sam, I'm frustrated. You sound, he hesitated, tired. Still having nightmares? She didn't answer. Sam, at the risk of coming across as a nag, I wish you'd... I know. Call Summers. I will. We're only human, Tate. It's not wrong to get a little help, a little outside perspective. He had a point. She was tired, sick and tired, and confused. Cross my heart, Terry, she said. As she disconnected, she could swear she heard a childish voice add, and hope to die. You've been listening to The Wedding Crasher by Nikki Stern. As we continue, spring moves into summer with Sam no closer to solving the murder of Bitsy Newsom. However, a visit to her therapist reveals some truths about herself, while a friendly game of poker presents Sam with a suspect. Don't forget, on Wednesday, we have episode five of Anne of Green Gables by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Mrs. Rachel Lind arrives at Green Gables and after describing her illness to Marilla in detail, she brings up Anne. And even before seeing her, Mrs. Lind doesn't approve, reminding Marilla that she has no idea how to raise a child. Marilla calls Anne in to meet Mrs. Lind. Mrs. Lind tells her that the Cuthberts couldn't have chosen her for her looks. How rude! She calls her skinny and homely points out her freckles and compares her hair color to carrots. Well, she is in for a big surprise when Anne lays into her. Thanks so much for listening. 
If you like my podcast, please give me a like or leave me a review or subscribe. Thanks again. I'll see you on Wednesday.